Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, as always, Tyler Crawley, and we are going to start by talking about, well, something that we don't usually talk about in housing. We're going to talk condos. We're going to start off by talking about condos, a new report from Redfin looking at what is happening with condo prices that are apparently skyrocketing because people are getting priced out of single family homes. And so they're moving to something that's more affordable and that's actually making it maybe less affordable (laughs) in a sort of unfortunate way. So let's start with the facts. Once again, this report is from Redfin and they looked at February, the typical U.S. condo sold for 14.6% more than last year and over a two-year period is now up 22.7% to a record $319,000. Now, in comparison, a single-family home is up 15.9% year-over-year and up 34.9% when compared to two years ago, to a record now $406,000. So if you are priced out of the single family market, well, condos, almost $100,000 cheaper. And so you can see why people are now rushing to buy condos. And this is quite the change from the beginning or early stages of the pandemic when condo sales plummeted 48% and prices fell the most since 2012. Why? Because nobody wanted to live in multifamily. They worried about COVID. We didn't know how contagious it was. Everyone wanted to be as far away from everyone else as possible. And so, you know, apartment complexes, condos, whatever it may be, if you're around a lot of other people, were not very attractive. Great buying opportunity if you were one of the people who were able to buy a condo at that time. But that has dissipated that idea. People are now more comfortable moving into these multi-family units, buildings, whatever it may be. And that has caused condo sales to surge so much that supply is now down 28% year over year in February and is now just shy of a record low. New condo listings were down 6.1%, which is an even bigger decline than we saw with single family homes, which only saw a 2.5% decline in new listings. And despite the drop in inventory, single family homes are still selling slightly faster than condos. The typical condo that sold in February went under contract in 30 days versus a single-family home that sold in 24 days. So single-family homes are still selling faster, but condos are picking up the pace. In fact, looking at condos, they're selling 13 days faster than a year earlier versus only seven days faster for single-family. So condo sales are picking up speed. And Chance Glover, a Redfin manager in Boston, said that waning concerns about COVID and affordability issues for single-family homes are what's pushing people towards condos, saying, quote, people are no longer afraid to live downtown close to crowds, and they often prefer it because they're close to the office and all the amenities of the city. Rising prices are pushing single-family homes out of reach for a lot of buyers, so condos are affordable in comparison. And one of the ironic things about this, or unfortunate, however you want to look at it, 
is that as single family homes fall out of reach for some homeowners, the desire to buy is pushing them into condos. But that in turn is causing condo prices to rise, which is then pushing some people out of the ability to buy a condo. It's a good lesson in understanding that everything responds to the basic market forces of supply and demand. Everything. Don't think that something is exempt. It doesn't, it's not influenced by that. It is. And far too often people in Washington make that mistake. They think that, oh no, you know, we're smarter than other politicians or we're smarter than economists and we're smarter than all these people and we're going to do it right. It's like that great meme online of the Arrested Development where the guy's talking about, I can't remember what it is, like Ponzi schemes or something. And he says, you know, people usually fall for these things because it never works for them, but maybe for us, <laughs> it'll work because they delude themselves into thinking that it'll work for them and it never does, but maybe it'll work for us. <laughs> and that's what all politicians think, right? Oh, the only reason it didn't work last time was they just didn't do it right. We're going to do it right and we're going to make it work. And there's no better example of this. This is a new research from the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco that finds, hope you're sitting down for this, that spending more money may have made inflation worse. Whoa! Blowing my mind here. What? You're telling me that putting more money into the system may have made inflation worse. Wow. If only someone had told us this, like, I don't know, an economist by the name of Milton Friedman who said inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. I don't know. That would have been maybe helpful. <laughs> yeah. And there's two ways, right? There's two ways to create more money. Really? Obviously, you have the creation of the money and putting it into the system, but you can also reallocate money and how you allocate that money can cause the velocity of money to accelerate or decelerate based on how it's being used. And one of the ways that you can increase the spending of money is who you're giving that money to. So for example, if you're giving a ton of money to someone that already has money, so the rich, not necessarily the 1%, maybe the top 10%, and you give them money, they might spend it, they might invest it, they might save it, we don't know what they're gonna do. But if you give money to people at the bottom of the income ladder, it's like 100% they're going to spend that money. They're going to they're gonna go out there and they're going to spend it. And so that is a very different reaction and is more likely to cause inflation than, say, giving money to people of a higher income. Now, I'm not saying that we should not give people money because of that. That's just the reality of the situation. And what we did during the pandemic was we gave a lot of money to a lot. I mean, everyone was getting money. <laughs> so you have all this new money in the system and shocker, it, it created inflation. This is from, once again, the report from the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. Quote, fiscal support measures designed to counteract the severity of the pandemic's economic effect may have contributed to this divergence by raising inflation about three percentage points by the end of 2021, wrote Oscar. I'm going to try and see if I can pronounce these names properly. I'm not going to, but I'm going to try because I like this report and they deserve it. So we have Oscar, Jorda, 
Celeste, Lou, Fernanda, Neccio, and Fabiana Riviera Reyes. This is in their regional Fed weekly economic letter, also writing, quote, however, without these spending measures, the economy might have tipped into outright deflation and slower economic growth, the consequences of which would have been harder to manage. And that's important. Because everyone's going to look at this report and go, oh, look how dumb the politicians are. But if the choice is between inflation or deflation, I mean, the evidence is clear on this. Inflation is infinitely better than deflation. Deflation is devastating for an economy. Just devastating. And so, I mean, sure, it's not bad to have a few deflationary events in certain areas, and we see it all the time, right? With new technologies, productivity gains, things like that, that allow deflation to sort of happen naturally. But when you have the overall economy causing deflation and everything in it, yeah, if it's a choice between inflation and deflation, it's not even that difficult of a decision to make. Uh, The researchers used an index of real disposable income to untangle how much support was received by U.S. households versus other countries. They found two distinct peaks in the U.S. corresponding to the CARES Act signed in March 2020 at the onset of COVID and then the American Rescue Plan a year later. They wrote, both acts resulted in an unprecedented injection of direct assistance with a relatively short duration. In contrast, real disposable personal income for other OECD sample increased only moderately during the pandemic. So yeah, we spent a ton of money, gave it away, and then people went out and spent that money. And then while that was happening, reminder, supply chain issues, lowering demand, in or I should say, excuse me, lowering supply with all this money out there, increasing demand, and having the money to pay more for these products. I mean, that's perfect recipe for inflation. And yeah, I mean, of course, yes, government spending money giving people money creates inflation. There's there's no question about that. That's not that's not the issue. The issue, the bigger issue, and that's why I'm glad they mentioned it in the report is that listen, the other option was deflation, which is way worse. Like way worse. <laughs> so, sure, inflation elevated because of giving people money. They're all they're also under indicators as well, because they mentioned three percentage points. Well, right now, inflation is between seven and eight percent. So there's other things that are happening, obviously, in the economy. We have supply chain issues. Uh, we have other inflationary pressures. So it's not just giving people money. But yeah, that helped. OK, and it's OK to admit that. And it's OK to say, hey, listen, this is better than the alternative, which was a glo- or not a global, but a countrywide deflationary event, which, yes, would have been probably worse. But now we got to tackle inflation. Now we got to, and we are, we are. I mean, that's why we're seeing rates rise. And now we're hearing all of this conversation about how much the Fed's going to raise rate, 50 basis points. Now it's, the question isn't, are they going to raise the Fed's fund rate by 50% or by 50 basis points? (laughs) The question is, how many times are they going to do that? I think I heard from City over the weekend, they're, they're now saying, I think four 50 basis point hikes and then a couple of quarters. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they're raising rates. And of course we're already seeing that in the mortgage market. If you weren't paying attention at the end of last week, and I believe 
We didn't see a big change in rates yesterday, but Mortgage News Daily reported that rates ended the week at 4.95%. Right there on the edge of getting to that 5% number. And it's funny because I remember it was like two weeks ago. I was talking to someone and they didn't even know we were in the fours. And I was like, yeah, we're already in the fours. (laughs) So that person asked me, I'm going to be like, yeah, we're in the fives. (laughs) But here's why this matters. So there was a piece in Bloomberg by Carmen Aurora. I think I'm saying that right. I'm not good with name pronunciations, by the way, if you haven't picked up on this. This episode was a great example of that. So she reported that less than 5% of U.S. homeowners can save money by refinancing their housing loans, the smallest proportion in the history of the mortgage bond market. And what's even <laughs> what's even more amazing is the number is actually smaller than that. For example, uh, Bloomberg reported looking at conventional 30-year mortgage bonds by F- FHN Financial. If you take out borrowers that are unlikely to be able to refinance or to bother, you're looking at point one five percent of loans that can be refinanced and that was earlier in the week and rates just skyrocketed in the week so that number is even smaller so the point one five percent number is actually smaller just to give you an idea of what is happening so in case anyone was wondering if refis were pretty much done uh yeah that's there's your answer they're done uh that doesn't mean there won't be any cash outs I mean, there are still people out there. I mean, if you're in a situation where, let's say, you have a lot of credit card debt or a high, you know, car loan or whatever it may be, yeah, five percent is worse than borrowing at three percent. But if you have a credit card that you're paying, you know, fourteen, fifteen percent on, or a car loan that you got a bad, you know, eight, nine percent or whatever it was, then it would make sense. And so, yeah, you're going to see an increase and people will take advantage. They have a lot of equity in their homes. But yeah, anyone doing like a rate term refinance, it's just not likely to be. I mean, it'll still happen. There'll still be some scenarios where it will make sense, but um, not from any perspective where it's like, oh, well, I save money by doing a um, refi. No, not not while rates are continuing to rise. All right, real quick, uh, because we're looking at this data from Monday, always on Monday, we get data from Altos. Some good news, some bad news, depending on how you want to look at it. These rates are jumping up. People are noticing that it's slowing thing down. That's why rates need to rise. They need to, the housing market needs to slow down. Now, prices have not been impacted yet. Altos reporting that the median home hit $400,000 first time ever. So prices have not yet been impacted by rising rates, but inventory may be because inventory actually rose week over week by 2%. So that's some great news that we're finally seeing inventory increase. Now, home prices, you're eventually going to start to see some slowdown and maybe even some pullback, uh, but not yet. We haven't seen it yet. And of course, today, a lot of data with regards to home prices because we got the Case-Shiller Index out at 9 a.m., the gold standard when it comes to home prices. That's expected to, I think, fall a little bit down from an all-time high, I think, to still around 18.3%, somewhere around there. At the same time, we're also going to be getting FHFA home price index data from February as well. And then at 10 a.m., consumer confidence and JOLT data. That's job opening data. So we got a lot of data out today. And we'll be talking about it all tomorrow here 
on another edition of Markets and Mortgages. You guys enjoy your Tuesday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.